Empire. Called the fake news the enemy of the people, and they are. It's a serious question. I, I appreciate your passion. I share it. I've addressed this question. I've addressed my personal feelings. And I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. You're listening to Just Ask the Question, Adventures in Reporting with your host, Brian Karam. Just ask the question. I am your host, Brian Caraman. Today, it's a joy to have with us again uh, one of the best uh, attorneys I know, especially when it comes to protecting whistleblowers, Mark Zaid. And uh, Mark, when we come back, we're going to ask you a few questions about whistleblowing, uh, the First Amendment, and uh, a few other fine, furry things. So uh, stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, and we're back. And Mark, I guess I'll, uh, you, you handled the infamous whistleblower case with the uh, President of the United States, which led to impeachment and accusations that you were a far lefty and that you were a never-Trumper. And you've defended, uh, gee, I think it was, wasn't it Fox News at one point in time? Daily Caller. The Daily Caller. And the RNC. And the RNC. So uh, post-impeachment, what does it look like going forward for whistleblowers? Is it going to be tougher? Sure, and thanks for having me back on, Brian. Appreciate it. Mark, it's always a pleasure, man. It really is. You know, it is a scary time right now. We are, I think, in the midst of seeing really what the future holds. On a positive side, our representation of the intelligence community whistleblower actually demonstrated some really good things. For one thing, even though there were obstacles and roadblocks put in our way, the system worked. The system actually worked. We had an intelligence community officer file a complaint based on their reasonable belief and concerns, reviewed by the Inspector General of the Intelligence Community, deemed to be an urgent concern and credible, First obstacle was that the acting, then acting ODNI or DNI, Director of National Intelligence, blocked the transmission of that complaint to go to Congress based on instructions from the Office of Legal Counsel to Justice Department and presumably the White House. That was a, a major impediment that was unheard of, but we overcame it. And not that long after, the complaint was transmitted to Congress. And it was investigated fully, obviously. It, it right. ultimately led to, among other reasons, led to impeachment. That was not an objective of the complaint. The no. complaint didn't ask for a remedy of that sort. It but was that an outgrowth. Course, that, of course, is how the president and his minions presented it, is a never-Trumper came forward and just wanted to submarine the president. Sure. And and I, know, I should say I no longer represent the whistleblower. The case has concluded. We transferred over to another council. Uh, in, in a very cooperative manner. It was a seamless transition, predominantly so that Andrew Bakai and I, the two lawyers who handled the case, could be free to participate in interviews like this and speak out in order to protect whistleblowers in general uh, because there are things that this case highlighted that we want to bring about. Such as? And, well, the other thing about, right, the anonymity of the whistleblower. Obviously, yes. there were lots of right-wing trolls that pretended to know who the whistleblower is. You mean like the senator from Kentucky? <laughs> Among. Uh, we have never uh, confirmed. We, we, we can neither confirm nor deny, as my friends in the CIA state, uh, which is ironic because they're not my friends, really, when, even though I'm drinking <laughs> coffee from a CIA mug at the moment. Uh, but Irony. Yes. Uh, but... The reality is we protected the identity of the whistleblower. Yes, you did. That never came forward, never, said who it was. Right. And the, in fact, the only substantive action that the chief justice of the Supreme Court took during the impeachment hearings in the Senate, in the trial, was to block 
Senator Rand Paul from saying a name, regardless of that name, whether that name was the whistleblower or not. In fact, Senator Paul said, hey, he doesn't know who the whistleblower is. He just wants to read this question. But it was obvious he was trying to push forward a name, uh, which I still would never say if that was or was not the whistleblower. God forbid it wasn't. God forbid it was, because either, either way, way yeah. either way, it brings, you know, hell down upon that individual. So it was very irresponsible of Rand Paul, but the chief justice blocked it. So that we really had two objectives during the course of our case. One was to get the information transmitted to the appropriate authorities, check, to protect the identity of the whistleblower and their safety, check. Now, th that can change, and this is where we get into where our concerns are now, because the fact that it led to impeachment or contributed to it, even though that wasn't the intent, the fact that the president was acquitted, or at least not convicted, however one wants to word it. Yeah, he was acquitted, in the, not exonerated. Not exonerated but in the Senate trial, has emboldened him, obviously. That is something everyone is discussing. And uh, Yes, it is disgusting. Oh, oh, disgusting. It's disgusting. Yeah. yeah, it's, dis uh, and it's disgusting and we're discussing disgusting. it. And so we don't know, of course, whether or not there will be any type of retribution against who is perceived to be the whistleblower or or others. Obviously, uh, there was some perceived retribution again, or retaliation against some of the folks who testified, although it, it's a little murky uh, when it really comes down to it. I have more of an issue of how it was done than what was in, done, than what was done um, actually. Um, because they were political appointees and they just they lost their details and quite frankly I'm sure they wanted to get the hell out of there. So I don't <laughs> think that was a bad thing that they left. Now obviously other career people who testified retired. Well yeah. So the, the real problem there I think is that people fear that uh, these people leaving will lead to only those who support right. Donald Trump and show fealty to well, him that, will be that left. Is, that is clear that that is an intent that is ongoing within this White House right now throughout the different agencies, which that is really scary. So that is why, you know what, we don't know what is going to happen in the whistleblower community. Uh, we, I, I have continued now that I am freed from sort of my bonds to this one individual uh, to be able to take a more aggressive, open role because if anyone paid attention, we never directly engaged no, with you the didn't. president. We never directly, for the most part, so didn't engage with some of the that. members of Congress. Well, but the other thing, but we can, I, I have started already to uh, encourage whistleblowers to come forward, as I would if it was a Democrat in the White House, and that we will provide pro bono representation, especially to national security whistleblowers. And that offer, I mean, one of the reasons why I can't wait for a Democrat to win in November is because I want to make the same damn offer that anyone who wants to be a whistleblower against the next administration, come on down. Just oh, like I, on The I, Price is Right, we I, will be here. I'm with you. I, everyone who thinks that you are that you just question this president because it's Trump and you won't, I, I welcome, you know, I... I have, quite frankly, have asked tough questions of Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and, and any of the Democrats. I don't care. It's got to be left, right, center. You got to take aim at any of them in power. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I, you know, I'll openly say I, I am not a Trump fan. Uh, but having grown up on Long Island and knowing Trump, not knowing him personally, but certainly knowing of him in the shadows of New York City, uh, growing up on Long Island, uh, so my entire life is when <laughs> Trump has been in the news. I have never liked the man. I think he's a horrible human, unethical human being. Uh, and, and Tell I us am, what you really think, Mark. Yeah, Don't hold no, back. And I am embarrassed and shamed that he is the president of the United States and the damage he has done to our country internally and internationally. Uh, I have no issue with Republicans. Well, I don't think he's a Republican for one. No, I, I don't either. But let's talk about what can you talk about now specifically that you could not talk about when you were representing the whistleblower? What is the, the key message you want to get out to people besides whistleblowers coming forward? Right. You know, honestly, there wasn't really much that we were constrained from saying generally. It was more of whether we were, who were we directing it to, uh, so to speak. 
uh, in the sense that we didn't, one, we, we made the decision, we didn't want to engage directly with, with the President of the United States. Frankly, we didn't, we didn't want to turn into Michael Avenatti, even absent. You couldn't do that even, if you tried. Yeah, You're a even, decent human being. Even, <laughs> even absent the prosecution of the man. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, we didn't want to make the case about us. In fact, right. when we represent whistleblowers, we do our best to make sure we don't, that the case isn't about them. Because it's not. It's about what their allegations right. concerns. And, and the whistleblowers who go down the dark path and, and have problems in their lives are because they turn it into them instead of what the issues are. And we didn't want this to be about them or us, the lawyers. So we didn't do any television interviews. I, I think your podcast was actually the first actual interview I did for weeks. Yes, it uh, was, and I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, other than just giving you know, a statement here and there, to, to print press or, or if they wanted to say it on television um, there, you know, there really wasn't much at all. Uh, so, you know what, but what this allows us to do now is to be a little bit more aggressive in, in saying certain things, you know, we backed off of Rand Paul for some extent. Well, let's uh, talk about Rand Paul for, to me, it seems to be a, a, a very distinct danger for a senator of the United States of America to come forward and to name a whistleblower and to accuse that whistleblower of something when, A, you're not really sure who the whistleblower is, B, they misspoke about uh, the whistleblower's interaction with uh, Adam Schiff, wait, right? And, right? And then also misspoke about what the whistleblower did. And there are people who will listen to him because he's a senator and say, oh, he must be right. I mean, to me, that was a miscarriage of justice. I think he went further than anybody else, quite clearly. I think it was despicable, uh, dishonest, and unethical. And he's an abomination. Not, is not reflective of any senator and the standing that they hold, uh, regardless of what they thought, which was all wrong about the intent of the individual or how the process went. I mean, the... The DNI, the acting DNI, Admiral McGuire, made it very clear in his testimony as a, a Trump appointee that the whistleblower followed the law. The inspector general of the intelligence community, a Trump appointee, made it very clear that, that the person was a whistleblower lawfully and followed the law. And what is so disturbing about anyone in Congress, and there were quite a number of people in the House uh, you know, Meadows, Jordan, Nunez as well. Ah, Although, the big three. You know, they and uh, Stefanik. Um, Gates. Gates. Uh, Gomart. Gomart. Gomor. Yeah. Um, and, you know, th those folks were just horrible. Senator Blackburn in the Senate was uh, in some ways even worse or in violation, I think, of her ethics than uh, Paul because she is on the Senate whistleblower caucus, for God's sake. I mean, that, I, I, she should be absolutely, she should resign or, or withdraw from it, or she should be kicked off of it by Senator Grassley, who, quite frankly, stayed silent more so than we would have hoped, because this man was the champion, is the champion <clears throat> of whistleblowers. So Well, but honestly, Mark, did you expect anything more from, they lied about, you know, they, they staged this huge coup or, or, you know, this whole drama in front of the television saying we were we were cut out of these meetings, you know, the secret meetings. And, the, and, the, and they weren't. They weren't. They, they no, were there. They were there. And yet they convinced a great many people in this God-fearing nation that somehow the Republicans and Donald Trump was denied due process. And if anything, he was given and afforded more than than Clinton was given during his impeachment process. Yeah, because it was a different process with respect to the independent counsel versus that it was investigated by the House. Now, if the system had worked properly, it would have been the ICIG that had actually undertook the investigation, not the House. Right. Or the House at least later on, because at some point in time, the ICIG would have been understandably blocked by the White House, because I think any White House would have blocked even, even their own IG in an agency trying to get into the details of the executive of what they did illegally. Of, well, yeah, <laughs> but just as a general rule, I sure. mean, I mean, there were some things, you know, look, the, the declassification of the whistleblower complaint and the declassification of 
the summary transcript of the conversation with President Zelensky was, uh, you know, unbelievable. I mean, that was that was certainly the transcript summary transcript was not expected, uh, and and I would have actually been supportive of a president to withhold disclosing that information. I mean, I want to see it, obviously, right. but I would be understandably concerned of setting a bad precedent, precedent right. of releasing a transcript of that nature. Um, and, and that will be very interesting to see what happens in future administrations, Republican or Democrat, whether or not some of the decisions of, the pres- of President Trump, having been so-called transparent, whether that actually hurts the Oval Office in future administrations. Do but, you think this has hurt whistleblowers in the future going I, I think, forward? Well, time will tell because it's one of those things of not being able to, I always use my example of the, the death penalty. You know, we can determine whether the death penalty is a specific deterrent. You know, person A murdered somebody. Right. Hopefully they were the ones who did it, unlike the person that got executed the other day in Alabama, but that's a separate issue. But, you know, someone murdered someone, they get executed by what, whatever state, federal jurisdiction. That person's not going to kill again. That's a specific deterrent, the death penalty. <laughs> yes, it is. Right? Is it a general deterrent? Did, did that <clears throat> execution deter anyone else from not killing someone? That's incredibly difficult to measure. Right. Very difficult to measure, almost impossible. And to since measure. murders continue, I you could always say no. You, right. So there is no doubt that how the whistleblowers in this case, because I represented two, and there were multiple whistleblowers, multiple whistleblowers. Yeah, that's one thing that many people forget. They just want to name one whistleblower, and the president was great about, you know, calling out your and you. I mean, he. You, you got to join the rest of us in yes. infamy there. You know, he he tweeted right at you. <laughs> that was great. I, I what was I'm a sleazeball, and one of the worst people in D.C. Uh, were the two favorites that I had. But you know, look, we had and the, he, and he kept making comments about where's the second. I whistleblower. guess he's never met Giuliani, but that's a different story. <laughs> there there wasn't Gates. any need to be a, to, for the second whistleblower to do anything because the second whistleblower had been interviewed by the ICIG in order to verify the credibility of the first whistleblower and some of the statements that had been made, and their role was done. There wasn't right. anything else for them to, to do or say. So they hadn't disappeared. They had done their job. There, wasn't, there wouldn't have ever been a need to rope them in further. Uh, but, you know, all the folks who testified, uh, Vin was, was a whistleblower. Enough. They were all whistleblowers, too, just by the participation in the process. And they all came forward. And they all came forward against orders, uh, or at least policy of the White House. So the the issue is, do we know? Well, let me. T- I'll take one step back. There is no doubt we know that the message sent by the White House, by the president, by select members of Congress who violated and their, the DOJ, their oaths, and and to some extent the DOJ, uh, that the message is. You're a traitor. You're a rat. You're an informant. You're a horrible person if you come forward as a whistleblower. Whereas pre- previously, at least and certainly still on paper, we want whistleblowers. The the administrations have always wanted whistleblowers to come forward. Now, has that mentality, that message, is that stopping people from coming forward? We don't know. We, we don't have that way to measure it in the same way that I'm talking about the general deterrent in the death penalty case. So, you know, unless someone tells us two years from now that I wanted to come forward, but I was too concerned because of that the president would come after me or my boss would come after me, you know, so we don't know. I, I suspect that, yes, there has been some specific loss of people coming forward because not only of the concern of retaliation, but also that some people inside the administration or inside the agencies, and it doesn't, this doesn't have to be political, that some bad people, and there are always bad people in every administration, you know, at right. a GS-15 level, whatever, they're just bad <laughs> people. <laughs> and that they, That's not the president's fault. No, it's not the chief right. of staff's fault. It's their fault when they're complicit in hiding. It's like, to me, it, and, and tell me if I'm wrong, but it's like, the Catholic Church, the Pope may not know that there's pedophile priests. You're not wrong if you uncover them. You're wrong if you continue to cover it up. Right. And But the concern would be that these folks 
have been emboldened to retaliate against whistleblowers ah, that's even, as that's being a rat at, at a much lower level. Look, I've been doing this for almost 30 years, and I've had a lot of whistleblower cases, especially within the national security community. I've never, I, I have had cases where administration policies were at issue. I mean, when we challenged right. the anthrax vaccine, Gulf War, Gulf War syndrome, the, the policies were at issue. I, you know, I'm sure the president at the time was involved somehow, but we, I, have, I have never had a case until now where the allegations were against the president of the United States. So, you know, usually it's against the senior leadership and whatever, you know, name the three-letter agency. The White House right. doesn't get involved with the case. So, you know, we're dealing with the CIA director, the NSA director, or a deputy director, whatever. And the concern now, especially in a Trump or Trump-like administration. Left or right. Left or right. right. Uh, yes, absolutely. But that type of attitude, that type of you know, global destruction, mass, not, not even mutual destruction, just outright kill um, attitude, uh, aggressive attitude that that will lead to uh, further retaliation at the lower levels where usually whistleblower cases are. Uh, and so that, that without a doubt is a lot of our concerns. And one of the reasons why, again, why we're not representing the whistleblower anymore uh, without leaving them high and dry at all, because they have very competent legal counsel, um, that we can go on our aggressive path to try and strengthen the whistleblower laws. Now, I, with this Congress, God the hell knows uh, <laughs> whether we can get anything done. But, you know, we got to start. Gotta, it's, it's, yeah. it's a long process. It's always a process. So we got to start at some point. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this and the bullying of the president of the United States and how that took place during this whistleblower. We'll be right back. So we are back, and uh, when we left, we were talking about uh, the President of the United States attempting to bully uh, whistleblowers. And so, Mark, I, I guess when we take a look at that, at the President bullying whistleblowers, and take a look at what he's done just in the last week, he sued the New York Times, the Washington Post, and CNN over opinion pieces, not, not news that they published but opinions that they published. And when I asked him in his very first press conference in the White House briefing room, everyone was asking about the coronavirus, and I said, you just sued the New York Times for an opinion piece. Are you telling us that people who have opinions contrary to your own should be sued? And he said, well, if they're wrong opinions. So I, I look at what, he's, what he did with with uh, trying to do with whistleblowers and what he's trying to do now as just uh, you look at over the broader landscape and it just looks like him trying to bully people. It's very interesting. Some people will say, and in a <clears throat> sick, twisted sense, they're right. He's one of the most transparent presidents we've ever had. Oh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. <laughs> because, right, unlike— But I think, what you see through the glass and what I see through right. the glass may be two different things. Well, and I, what I mean by that is transparent in that he will—just he, like what you said, he, and he will use his power and his money, and it was usually in the prior to his political life, it was money, which equates to power, especially up in New York City area— now he's got actual power as the president, as well as however much money he has. More money, apparently, now than he had when he took <laughs> yeah. office. Well, because he's uh, bleeding the treasury, but that's another <laughs> that's but, another issue. You know, he, he is taking this aggressive stance of attacking people in a way that he would do as a businessman uh, and, and file lawsuits against everyone. Lawsuits are really expensive, especially to defend. You know, look, it's one thing. I, I represent— a lot of people pro bono. I represented the whistleblower pro bono. I represent a lot of people pro bono, meaning for free in the Latin term. But it's usually in, at their plaintiffs, and because I know how much time it's going to take me to do the case, and I, I can, or I believe in whatever the issue might be, or both, whatever. Uh, you know, you don't get a lot of cases, and I've done a lot of defamation. I've done some defamation cases, plaintiff and defendant. 
and you will do plaintiff's work on contingency or pro bono, you generally don't do defense work. I mean, right. certainly there are, I'm sure there are examples, but generally not. If you get sued, you got to hire someone unless you have someone in your family to defend you or a really good friend, really, really good friend to defend you. You're gonna <laughs> Even really good friends want to get paid. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to pay a lot of money. Uh, so it is a weapon that people can use, and Trump has wielded that very well. And, and unfortunately, that has caught on. We, you know, we've seen Congressman Nunes file a whole host of cases of which he's claimed, and I like Devin Nunes personally, quite frankly. I have experience with him. But, uh, you know, he's claimed like $195 million in damages, which is just ridiculous. Um, it's ridiculous that the Trump campaign, I'm not, I can't remember if it's actually in Trump's name. I think it's all. It's all in the campaign's Trump name. Trump campaign. Who's, who's filed these three lawsuits. Which, and he which, says more to come. Which opens him up for deposition. So every time I've seen <clears throat> these, discovery. Yeah, every time I've seen one of these cases, I have actually, you know, tweeted out, I think this is awesome. I think the New York Times, the CNN, and Washington Post are jumping for joy because they've Trump has just opened himself up for a deposition, and that would be so awesome to video it ain't and live happen. stream. No, and I say that too because the the likelihood is if they get anywhere close, the Trump campaign is going to drop the lawsuit. So unless somehow they can get a counter lawsuit against the campaign or the president, which may be possible— uh, then otherwise they're never going to get anywhere. But what, what it does, and this is where it is so sad uh, in a pathetic way, because one, obviously Trump's a public figure, public and public official, so he has to show malice. That, yeah, that these malice opinion, of forethought, right. Pieces were, were done with malice, and there's no way he's going to be able to accomplish that as a legal standard for what these were. And But it has created they're they're clearly using it as a marketing tool to rally their base and to fundraise uh and so you think that's the purpose of i, I think that's a lot a lot of the purpose I, I think it's to show show strength but show strength to who show to strength the base. to the base uh so to show they're tough on the fake news on the fake media on the I liars think that's why the he media. appealed the case that I sued him on. Yeah, was, I, I think all of that. I think it is just a media stunt. And the the, the really sad thing of it is, he's not costing him a dime because they're all because he's in office. He's allowed to fundraise and take donations through the campaign, as I understand it, and apply to be used that to, to the, the litigation. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's the same lawyers who keep handling the case. And the, the case is, you know, and I, so they're getting paid and they're getting, I'm sure, paid very handsomely and good for them as lawyers, although, you know, I, I have principles and I would never represent this guy. There's certain people I would not represent. Um, but, you know, these are folks who have done represented for a while and I've litigated against some of them. And, you know, I, I had professionally pleasant experiences with them, I mean, we were with friendly. Trump's lawyers. Trump's lawyers, yeah, we yeah. were we were friendly and we were professional, as most lawyers generally are. Um, but you know, but to the strategy, let's talk about. I mean, what I'm talking about is the bullying and the strategy. It seems like what he did with the whistleblower, what he's doing with um, this, and what he does on a daily basis. Um, and you could even say, in my case, when I sued him to get my press pass back, all of this is. Part and parcel of Trump's uh, modus operandi of, of yes. bullying people into submission. For sure. Although I just would say that I don't think that that you were being intimidated. And, and obviously you, no. were, had, you had to take the action affirmatively yeah, yourself. To, yeah. But, you know, you're not intimidated. I am not intimidated. I, don't I do think not you... think the New York Times, CNN, or Washington <laughs> Post is intimidated. Now, if they took an action if the administration or the campaign took an action against an individual who's not in positions of power which you and i are not we're not in the same no. level as their power no. but we have power i have power as a lawyer you have power as a journalist you know there there is some we're, we and we would have people who support us you know right your, your law you know ted uh boutros, boutros who Great represented guy. you um and you still know, does we're back yeah, in court on the 23rd you know, and and you know, these are we, we have allies. If if I were attacked as I was or, or sued, which I have not been, thankfully, but we'll see. 
he, he said he <laughs> wants nice to sue me for treason. <laughs> yeah, that's, I don't know what the hell that is, but that's what he said. Um, you know, I would have people, colleagues, friends who would rally to my support. It wouldn't cost me a dime. I would have people representing me uh, for, for free. Now, but, you know, if he went after, you know, other people who are little nobodies, uh, so to speak, then, you know, those without power, for sure, for sure. But I do think these, I don't think he would do that, though. I, I think that it doesn't serve any benefit. benefit right. It, it, you know, it did when he was just a businessman. I don't right. think it does as a as a president. But what it does do as a benefit is publicity, strength, to his base, publicity, strength, fundraising. Right. That that's what I think it's about. As well as look, it will cost the New York Times, CNN, and Washington Post money. I mean, they they have, have to, to defend hire it. Well, they have insur- law firms. They have insurance. Yeah, and, they have insurance, and, and they have attorneys on staff. But still, yeah. that's energy taken away yeah. and money taken away that could be uh, you know channeled elsewhere. So they have to you know you have to spend the time. You have to go into it. Yep. I mean, I know it's a distraction. Yeah, I know many of the attorneys at the Washington Post, and it's you know they they're going to have their hands full. Yeah, they will be busy having to do things, and it, it does it takes time. Among all the other things that they have I mean, to do. I mean, yeah, I mean, just day. like when when we were representing the whistleblower, Andrew Bakai and I put pretty much all our other cases on hold, or in, or in a sense assigned it to other lawyers uh, to work on them. We we did not have the time. Uh, to work on most cases. I mean, there were obviously some cases we all continued to work on because they needed our personal touch. But, you know, my law partner handled most of the cases that came in and new cases that came in, and, and Andrew did something similar. So, uh, you know, it takes it takes time, especially as just individuals right. and small <clears throat> firms uh, like we are, uh, you know, which gets back to the, you know, What's the research of my doing a coup? Cause, yeah, because you know, I didn't do any coup. Um, coup who? Coup who? <laughs> I mean, just you know, a, a joke. To and, and I keep thinking more and more about it. And you were asking about like you know what wasn't I talking about? I did not talk about the coup tweet publicly. Um, yeah, uh, because we just didn't want to distract from what we were trying to and do and to refresh everyone's memory. He yeah. accused you of trying to engineer a coup against the U.S. government. Yeah, I, I I tweeted out in like a week after he was inaugurated. I, I don't even remember the, the exact words. It was something like the coup has started, impeachment will follow, hashtag lawyers, hashtag judiciary or something like that. And what I did was I retweeted a tweet that Jake Tapper sent out, which was about a CNN story that Sally Yates, the acting attorney general, had been fired uh, for standing up to Trump. And saying no, uh, that she would not enforce one of the new Im- immigration policies. And I was referring to the fact that s- I perceived, predicted, uh, and I don't think this was any prescient power of mine. I think it was pretty obvious this would happen that senior government officials. Because that goes back to the transparency. <laughs> yeah, that senior government officials were going to stand up to him and say no. And what would happen is they'd get fired and then somebody else would step up. And do the same thing, and they get fired, and eventually the rule of law would prevail. And lawyers, and, and there's tons of my tweets where I hashtag lawyers, hashtag law, rule of law, hashtag judiciary. That that would be the process, and impeachment will follow. Well, I was right, apparently. Right, right. right. I was clearly right. And again, I don't think that was too difficult to predict because we know who tr- we knew who Trump was when he was elected. Well, I was writing two, three months after he was elected that. There were people who were saying he's going to get impeached. He's going to do something that's going to get him impeached. I don't think that that was a surprise. And when I was, uh, you know, I, someone in the administration said, well, you wanted him to get impeached. I go, I just asked the questions and reported what others, by the way, in your administration said would happen. Yeah. And look, and I, and, you know, by all means, love to have actual reporters investigate. What did I do after that tweet? Because you will not find anything. No, you, know, you didn't. I'm not connected to any political party, political organization. I did not embrace a coup. I had no weapons <laughs> that right. I owned. You know, I tweeted it and I went back to work. It was like at nine o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, okay, maybe I shouldn't have u- used the word coup. I wasn't referring to, uh, you know, well, I arms, thought when I read weapons, that, things well, like that. I was referring to people standing up in power. Yeah, that's what I thought you and were And impeachment, to. of course, is a lawful constitutional power, except in his eyes and his supporters it was who, a hoax. who have now attacked it as being unconstitutional. 
how impeachment can be unconstitutional when it's written, when, in, when it's the written in the Constitution <laughs> is beyond me. But, you know, this is where we're at right now, you know, swinging up back is to down what, and what down is up. Yeah, what you were talking about, because, you know, he his style. And again, there's nothing new about it, because if you, anyone who knows about Trump from the 70s and 80s and 90s and and eh, probably less or so into the 2000s, I think, because um, he was doing all the television that um, this is his style, you know, this is his style to be aggressive and go on the attack and just deny, deny, deny. And attack, and, attack, attack. Right. And he, and he takes the playbook right out of Cone. You know, Cone. And, you know, we can, you know, say the, 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 the word, the names you're not supposed to say from certain time period in well, another which, country. Who, 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 go yeah. ahead, say it. Yeah. <laughs> Begins with a G. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> I thought it started with an H. <laughs> Is there an H? Well, no, no. I'm talking about the the, the propaganda campaign, ah. how, how to run a propaganda campaign. It, yeah. I mean, you know, but – and it wasn't novel to them. I mean, this is – these no. are strategies. They, now, I don't know if he does it on purpose or just – Well, it's always – isn't it always that's <laughs> the game plan of any uh, despot? I mean, going back to the beginning of history. I mean, I don't think there's ever been anyone who was successful – in their despotic nature, who didn't dominate the the conversation while also limiting it. Because if you expand the conversation, then you open people's minds up to the possibility that the guy talking to you is is telling you a a bunch of BS. You know, it's like in The Wizard of Oz, pulling the curtain back and seeing that that you know the wizard is just a little old guy who's scared shitless, and yeah. that's the what king who has no clothes. I mean, yeah. Trump. Trump is. I don't want to see him without clothes. That's that, another issue. But, but that that is that is what we're at. I mean, and it's and as you mentioned, I think earlier before about you know, unfortunately now who's left are the loyalists, who uh, show him fealty, who have no experience in their positions, which is really scary, given the importance of many of these positions well, and they bow down to him and will not tell him that you know you're not wearing anything sir well and that brings me to the current situation now when i talk about bullying and i talk about the communication and we're talking about propaganda take a look at the coronavirus and i have been in those press briefings and what is frightening to me is that there are doctors and members of the who do know better of the CDC who are also bowing to him, and I don't understand that because this we don't know. As everyone I've talked to who who knows this subject says, we we really don't know what's going on. We should keep the American people informed. We don't want to panic, but at the same time, Trump is painting one picture and bullying the doctors into going along with him. And and they're not. M- primarily political appointees right. either they're career people and I am I am very concerned about that because these are these are very respected well respected long serving well they were servants. respected <laughs> before right and and you see them standing next to Trump or Pence or Pence who are lesser so Pence but certainly you know Trump right. for sure uh, who are saying things that are just factually inaccurate Inaccurate. Or misleading, exaggerated, whatever word you want to use, and they're not saying anything, and that is really, really troubling. My, my gut tells me, is you know they feel the position they're in is more important than for them to stay there and serve. That's and, what I and, get. And implement policy at the field level, and just ignore what he says. But the reality is that the the paranoia and the panic that is ensuing inside the United States in a grow increasingly uh, growing I guess you know it's redundant increasing manner is because of the uh, confusion that is coming out of this White House with saying one statement and then Trump will say something completely, completely different, different and then say something completely different five minutes later and I will give it to uh, uh, you know, I give kudos to Mark Short and the vice president, honestly, for trying to take on this situation. Now, Pence is not a scientist, and he is an evangelical, and he gets a lot of crap from people who think that you know he wants to pray this away. But I do know Mark Short, and I do believe that they are trying to 
to give information. But I think the problem is, and I could be wrong, and I don't even want to beat me up on it, go ahead. But the problem is you can't, Pence has been put in an impossible situation. If he tells the truth, Trump's going to dump him for, for not Nikki being, Haley or for, yeah, for not showing him fealty. And if we screw this up, he's going to use Pence as cannon fodder and find somebody to replace him anyway. So he's damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. I, I just wish they would come out and tell us the truth because so far, and that's why I was going to talk to you about maybe you could help us find out some of that information through a, a FOIAs. We don't know how many people have been tested. We don't know how many tests exist. And we really don't know, although it's said in a couple of weeks there'll be millions and people can get tested. We really don't know when those tests will be available or why we didn't use the World Health Organization's pre-existing tests. And there are all kinds of rumors about uh, we wanted to develop our own and so uh, people in power had stocks involved in companies to develop those private tests. We really don't know. And the, the shame of it is, is I think that the president has used the bully pulpit and his bullying techniques as evidence with what he did with the whistleblower and as evidence is what he's done with the press to bully these people into submission over one reason, and that is because he fears that the uh, economy will fail and he'll lose the election. Right, yeah, I mean, that's what he's hyped on for so so long and tied himself to. Yeah, and one of the things that came up today, uh, or this, this weekend, I'm not sure when this airs, uh, within the last few days about uh, Washington State, which, of course, is sort of the, the center at the moment for where the virus is as it spreads, unfortunately. But Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington, has been working with the vice president. And the vice president had, both of them had complimentary statements to make about one another. And then the president of the United States calls Governor Inslee a snake. Right. You know, for the same conduct that the vice president was politically complimenting him, and I, I presume genuinely, because this is the frankly the proper—I don't even know if genuine—it's the proper way to conduct yourself during a, a mass health hysteria crisis. It, it isn't about politics. This is about health. Yeah, I, I mean that's what and and Trump acts like this is—I mean he went after today. This is on Sunday uh, when we're talking. He, he tweeted out that, you know, everything is great, that everything is under control, and don't listen to the fake media who wants to make him look bad. Look, I don't want him to look bad. I want him to win. You know, I, I want him to win this one because if the numbers from the WHO are correct, there could be millions of people who will get this, hundreds of thousands of people that will die, and according to everyone I've spoken to, we don't have the infrastructure available to handle what's coming down the pike. So I want him to be right, okay? Well, you know, and one of the other tweets I, I did recently, which I will also do if a Democrat wins the White House in November, is to offer pro bono representation to reporters for certain types of FOIA requests, particularly national security, or w ones of paramount interest and importance like this so we oh, can i'm totally, going to take advantage of that we can totally do and you know I, i've represented usa today wall street journal politico daily beast you yes you did um, still I, I think our case is still active as yeah. i recall uh one of the things my law partner has been working on in my absence for the last few months uh, as i get back into the to the real world now but you know uh, the freedom of information act is a perfect vehicle to get this information out of and it's it, it, clearly we could get expedited processing uh, on it in, as well. Now, FOIA has its limitations because the government agencies are overwhelmed. Uh, understandably, that has nothing to do with this administration. Well, uh, some because they haven't hired people, but that's well, that it. right, that does, but they they were already, yeah, tasked yeah to the max. In every administration, it's just overwhelming, and and I uh, am sympathetic or empathetic. I am empathetic to, to uh, that as well. To the agencies, yeah, but nonetheless, the statute is the statute, and. And it was designed, even though it's not used for the media uh, because it just takes too long, but we go right into court. That's the power I have as the lawyer. We go right into court. I don't play games with it, and we will, we will initiate a lawsuit, and we'll see what information we can pry out of the administration. Well, let's pry. <laughs> I'm all for prying. When we, when we come back, we have a few closing questions and some fun to be had, so stick around. We'll be right back. 
And we're back for some final thoughts. And Mark, I guess uh, the question is, where do you see 2020 going? Let's start there. That's just asking the question. You think uh, Trump gets reelected? I don't know. You know, I, I think I can't predict that either, but I always right. like to ask it. I mean, I my views on that are, you know, maybe I'm more informed than the average U.S. citizen because I pay more attention because I'm here in Washington, D.C. But, you know, I certainly have no crystal ball for anything like that. And I think my answer for something like that, because now here it is, we're in early March. The election is in eight months from now. And throughout the impeachment proceedings, everything, every answer I would give would have the caveat of, I'm telling you what I think will happen based on exactly this moment. Right. Exactly. Which means it could change in 30 seconds. In this, the way things work right now, in especially with politics and the 24 seven media circle or circus, (laughs) it uh, is a circus that it, it could absolutely change. And there are so many factors and, and, I'm no more qualified to you know, talk about how's the coronavirus going to impact things? How's the economy going to impact things? What's going to happen with our relationship with China, with Korea? I mean, North Korea, there's, there's so Too many, many variables. So, uh, the See, Taliban, there's so many variables that, that could happen. I mean, even look, you look back at 2016, uh, and again, we could, you know, what about isms? If Comey hadn't done this on this date, if the FBI hadn't done that on that date, you know, would there have been any difference in with respect to Hillary Clinton's that, campaign? That takes me back to the if if and buts if, were candy and nuts, we'd all have a hell of a Christmas. Yeah. So I, I, have, I have no idea. I, I can I will say that I absolutely could see Trump winning in November. Yeah, absolutely. There there are some really clear paths that lead to him winning, but there are also some really clear paths to, to him, him losing. losing. I don't know what the hell will happen. So we don't know what the hell will happen. We don't know what the hell will happen with the coronavirus. But say the coronavirus gets so bad that you have to uh, hightail it for a desert island somewhere and and wait it out. You're sitting on your desert island. What movie, what book, and what music are you taking with you? Uh, uh, Wow, I I have so many for all of those choices. It's always hard to come up with uh, one particular thing. I will say uh, the Greatest Showman soundtrack is one of my go-to music um, p- uh, paths right now that I don't mind listening to endlessly, literally all day long. So I could take that on the desert island. And I can always watch Stargate movie from 1994 Ooh, all, day, all day, night long. The uh, Kurt Russell movie. Yes, and, uh, and Spader. Yeah, uh, as well. And what was it? The book? Yeah. Uh, to Kill a Mockingbird. That's always a good one. And I can also take the movie, too. But I, I'll, oh, I'll, that's I'll keep Stargate. I'll read the To Kill a Mockingbird. <laughs> uh, and then just just because I'll have some second tier. Uh, I'll give a shout out to Clive Cussler, who unfortunately just recently passed away. Wrote Raise the Titanic. Great. Uh, fantastic book. I never uh, can. I always repeat reading that book every few years. And uh, maybe Weekend at Bernie's, I can definitely continue to watch uh, all, all day long. And um, because I listened to it over the last couple of days, the War of the World soundtrack. Oh, wow. Uh, from the move, from the... Uh, 2005? No, no. From 53? No, no, no. The, the 1975... Uh, it's the, the London tour is still going oh, on now. Oh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's uh, that fellow... Uh, whose I name I should know, uh, who the the lead singer from the Moody Blues. Yeah, uh, is, I remember that. Sang yeah. a lot of the music, and and uh, Richard Burton, I believe, did the narration. Yes. Uh, and then there was a remake done a few years ago with the who plays M in the James Bond films now. Judy Dench. No, no, no. After uh, she died. Oh, uh, uh, who took over? Oh yeah, um, uh, British actor. Uh, but, 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 but. Now you got me. Uh, he was in. I know who you're talking about. Anyway, he did because Richard Burton, of course, is deceased. Uh, I, oh, gosh, I can't remember the guy's name. It oh. was horrible. One of your listeners will come up with it and yeah. scold us on Twitter because <laughs> um, he's a great actor. 
he was in the English Patient. Right, right? and his actor. brother was in Shakespeare in <laughs> right. Love. And uh, anyway, uh, I should, I we should is. Google it while we're on here, so it's <laughs> not be too embarrassed. But he did the remake in the narration. Oh wow. Uh, a few years ago, and uh, I, in fact, I googled it the other day because I wanted to see. Finally, was the tour coming to America? And it still is not. It is only in the United Kingdom uh, to do this live, or, like London Symphony Orchestra playing the music with live stage actors and film narration interactions. And uh, it it is one of the best productions I, I have been. I found it, uh, see, I, I, as I said, I think it came out in 1975, maybe 77, uh, and I found it in the early 80s, and I have not stopped you music listening nerd, you. to it since. <laughs> Great soundtrack. I would, I, since I asked it, I'll, I'll, I'll say anything by Asimov I'd take with me. Sure. Um, I don't know if I could limit it to a an artist, but it would definitely have to be a lot of rock and roll. And then the movie, I would forego a movie just if I could binge watch Third Rock from the Sun <laughs> and, just, and just have a laugh and wait for the, you know, for the uh, apocalypse to pass. Okay. Well, I, I will give a, a shout out, which most Americans do not know this uh, because it, it was it's a British uh, television BBC production called Coupling. Oh, and it was on in the early 2000s uh, for three seasons, as I recall. It was on BBC America, which I which is where I first saw it. And they did an American version, which you know most Americans probably don't realize. So many of our television, sh- great television series, are from were stolen the, from the right. British. Three's Company, The Office. You know, these were all British shows. Ralph Fiennes. Ralph, no, it wasn't it Ralph Fiennes, the English Patient. All right, but it's it's not. Google James Bond for the last film, Spectre, uh, and find out who took over for Spectre. For, yeah. For Judy Dench and uh, her, her character, but um, he would be one of the lead stars in the film as M. Ralph Fiennes. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I, I thought but, I had. You know what? But I don't think I, I don't think that's actually who <laughs> that's who I was thinking about in the movies. <laughs> but I don't think that's who did the narration. Well, and, now we'll have to check. I'll have to double check. <laughs> but you know, regardless, whoever's listening, um, whether you listen to the original version or the remake, they're both fantastic. I'd go with and the that. music is the same. The music did not change, or, or and I don't even think the script changed much. They just obviously changed some updated of the, voice, the narration. The narration, yeah. Well, Mark, listen, I really appreciate you doing this again, and uh, God, I love to have you back just to talk about JFK. We have to do that sometime. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the name of the show is Just Ask the Question. I am your host, Brian Karam, and thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>